0: You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is uh, Father Shaw, and I want to um, make some comments on the political philosophy course about the dialogue, the Phaedo of uh, Plato. And this is the longest and uh, the last uh, dialogue on the death of so- oh, on the actual death of Socrates. It has the day of his death and his actual death. <clears throat> so the Phaedo is the longest of the four dialogues on the death of Socrates, which are the Euthyphro, the Apology, the Crito, and the Phaedo. It is the Third of the uh, of the trials of Socrates, uh, that is the first one before the um, the jury, the second one before Cri- uh, Crito, and then the third one before the potential philosophers in the Phaedo. It also concludes famously with the actual death scene of Socrates, where he drinks the hemlock and dies. Hence, it ends the account that Plato has presented. Almost all of the writings of Plato are about the death of Socrates. Why did it happen? Who is responsible? Uh, Will it happen always again? Can a philosopher live in the city? I have noted over the years how often students miss the uh, most powerful passages in Plato. So here, what I'm going to do is uh, encourage you to read this long dialogue carefully. Uh, and I want to uh, make some comments on uh, some of the individual passages. Uh, the dialogue basically uh, is the last day of Socrates, the day the vote returns, the scene in the jail where his friends are there, his wife is, is there, and his goodbye. Then the uh, whole long central part is about the reason why Socrates is not uh, anxious or not angry at his death. And this perplexes the young philosophers so they want to know why this is so. So they spend Socrates' last day um, discussing why he is so, which is basically that he believes in the immortality of the soul and he believes that justice will ultimately be Uh, uh, required of us uh, which is the structure and the whole point of the platonic dialogue so I will make some comments on these uh, particular citations without trying to summarize the whole thing because what happens after the conversation um, then the jailer says it's time to um, um, execute Socrates, he brings the hemlock in, he drinks it and he dies in a very poignant and meaningful situation where he offers the uh, cup of poison to the god of healing and then asks that a uh, cock be sacrificed in his name. But I want to begin with a comment of Benedict XVI, who said that intellectuals are blind where their mental constructs are concerned. So in a certain sense, it's hard to see through our own ideas if they don't conform to reality. So he says also that the pathology of religion, that is, say, the diagnosis after it's dead, so to speak, is the most dangerous sickness of the human spirit. That is, say, when religion goes wrong, then things are very dangerous. Then we come to a... um, um, a passage from Plato himself, number 89D and E in the uh, Phaedo, where he says, quote, There is no greater evil uh, one can suffer than to have, uh, uh, than to hate reasonable discourse. Misologi, misology, as they say, that's uh, hatred of words and misanthropy arise in the same way. Misanthropy comes when a man without knowledge or skill has placed great trust in someone and believes him uh, to be altogether truthful, sound, and trustworthy. Then, a short time afterwards, he finds him to be uh, wicked and unreliable. And this happens in another case, uh, when one has frequently had (coughs) that experience especially with those whom we believe to be our closest friends, then in the end, after many such blows, one comes to hate all men and to believe that no one is sound in any way at all, the end of the quote. So if we have constant experience of people betraying us and um, so forth, uh, it leads us to think everybody is wrong, which is not true, but We're tempted to think that. Yves-Simon says in General Theory of Authority to warn us about the same thing, that no spontaneous intellectual relations protect the young philosopher against the risk of delivering his soul to error by choosing his teachers infelicitously. So the teachers we choose and we have, have great influence on us. If they themselves are not honest or not truthful, it corrupts all of us. Then Plato says in uh, 82e and uh, 83b says, the lovers of learning know that when philosophers, uh, when philosophy gets hold of their soul, It is imprisoned in and clings to the body, and that it is forced to examine other things um, through, through it as though a cage, and not by itself, and that it wallows in every kind of ignorance. Philosophy sees that the worst features of this imprisonment is that it is due to desires, so that the prisoner himself is contributing to his uh, to his own incarceration, most of all. As I say, the lovers of learning know that philosophy <clears throat> gets hold of their soul when it is in that state. Then uh, gently encourages it and tries to free it by showing them that investigation. Through the eyes, through the eyes is full of deceit, as is that through the ears and other senses. Philosophy then persuades the soul to withdraw from these senses in so far as it is not compatible to use them, and bids the soul to gather itself together by itself, to trust only itself and whatever reality existing by itself the soul by itself understands, and not to consider as true whatever it examines by other means. For this is different in different circumstances, and is sensible and visible, whereas what the soul itself sees is intelligible and invisible. The end of the quotation. So he says that the thing that can imprison us most are kind of false images or desires uh, that we have, and we do not examine them uh, by virtue of some uh, reference to what is true. Then he says in 90c, he says, you know how those in particular who spend their time studying contradictions in the end believe themselves to have become very wise, and that They alone have understood that there is no soundness or reliability in any object and in any argument, but that all that exists simply fluctuates up and down as if it were the uh, and 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 does not remain in the same place for any time at all. The end of the quote. So the point is that uh, if people are just in it to kind of win an argument and contradict this and contradict that, which is a temptation to do, they end up by being skeptics and that there is no truth and that uh, they find no intelligibility in anything uh, because all they do is question everything and do not listen to argument. <clears throat> and then he says in 90-D, it would be pitiable, Phaedo, he said, When there is a true and reliable argument, and one that can be understood, if a man who has dealt with such arguments as appear at one time true and another time untrue, should not blame himself or his own lack of skill, but because of his distress, in the end, uh, gladly shift the blame away from himself to the arguments and spends the rest of his life hating and uh, reviling uh, reasonable discussions, and so be deprived of truth and knowledge of reality. You know the quote. A very powerful statement, a uh, very powerful com- uh, observation. So that, uh, uh, that arguments can be understood, and that uh, to think that they can't without doing the work that it takes to understand them, leaves us in a kind of, um, again, a kind of skepticism. And they uh, blame somebody else but themselves instead of their own lack of knowledge or insight. The next comment is from 90E, where he says, This is the first thing we would guard against, he said. We should not allow into our minds the conviction Their argumentation has nothing sound about it. Much rather, uh, we should believe that it is we who are not yet sound. the end of the quote. So, the distinction being that arguments can make sense and do make sense. And it's not simply our um, uh, inability to understand them. In 91a, he says, the uneducated when they engage in argument about anything, give no thought to the truth about the subject of discussion, but are only eager that those present will accept the position they have set forth. So the people are only interested in their own arguments and not in the truth as such. And he says in 91c, If you will take my advice, you will give but little thought to to Socrates, but much more to the truth, the end of the quote, a great quote. So Socrates makes good arguments. He's eloquent. Uh, he makes good sense, but he's only valuable unless he is speaking the truth. And so you can have a very eloquent and elegant kind of an argument, which is not true. And that's what you have to warn yourself against. In 96a, he says, when I was a young man, I was wonderfully keen on the wisdom which they called natural science. But I thought it splendid to know the causes of everything, why it comes to be, and why it perishes, and why it exists the. End of the quote. So he says, as a young man, he was concerned about the natural sciences, and he wanted to figure out the meaning of things. and of course, he says that, Uh, When he kind of had to give up on that later, he switches to the study of man, to ethics, to see what is the right order of man. So the right order of the universe, the right order of man, the right order of God, these are the three main topics of philosophy. And he says next in uh, 97 B&E, in a a famous passage, he says, um... I do not any longer persuade myself that I know why a unit or anything else uh, comes to be or per- perishes or exists by the old method of investigation, and I do not accept it. But I have confused uh, a confused method of my own. One day I heard someone, this is great, I heard someone reading, as he said, from the book of Anaxagoras, saying that it is mind that directs uh, and is the cause of everything. I was delighted uh, with this cause, and it seemed to me uh, good, in a way, that mind should be the cause of all. I thought that if this were so, the directing mind Would direct everything and arrange each thing in its own way that was best if then one wished to know the cause of each thing why it comes to be or perishes or exists one had to find out uh, what was the best way for it to be or to be acted upon or to act on these premises uh, then It befitted a man to investigate only about this and other things, uh, which is uh, uh, what is better. The same man must inevitably also know what is worse, for that is part of the same knowledge. As I reflected on this subject, I was glad to think that I had found in Anaxagoras a teacher uh, about the cause of things after my own heart and that he would tell me first whether the earth is flat or round and then would explain why he saw why it is so of necessity a saying which is better and that it was better to be so the end of the quote uh, Socrates then continues then with a uh, 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 di- disappointment with Anaxagoras. So the wonderful part about this thing is that he understood that there is an objective order in the universe, a mind, and not just a chaos. Um, and that this uh, 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 mind was the source of the order of things. And uh, that this is what we were looking for and not just um Uh, a bunch of facts, but we're looking for the reason for them, and that there was a reason, and the reason why there was a reason was that there was a mind, which is the cause or order of the universe. He says in 99b, Imagine not being able to distinguish the real cause from that without which the cause would not be able to act as a cause. So you have a thing which is the cause of a thing, and you also have, so let's suppose you take a baseball pitcher. A baseball pitcher is, a, is the cause, the baseball pitcher is the cause of the throwing the baseball. Well, let's suppose he doesn't have an arm. Uh, well, then he doesn't have that which is necessary to be what he is. So the arm by itself cannot throw it. It's only the, uh, the man with the arm that can throw it. And he says in 99, he says, a similar thought crossed my mind, and I feared that my soul would be altogether blinded if I looked at things with my eyes and tried to grasp them with each of my senses. So I thought I must take refuge in discussion and investigate the truth of things by means of words. So by means of argument, of the court, by means of arguments, uh, And so therefore you can be blinded by simply seeing things or hearing things without trying to understand them. And so you have to have refuge, a refuge for a discussion about what is it that we are seeing. So he says in 100E, I C. I see, I mean, for I think that if there is anything beautiful besides the beautiful itself, it is beautiful for no other reason than that it shares in the beautiful, in that beautiful. And I say so, that this is true with everything." In the end of the quote. So if a thing is beautiful, it must mean and in some sense. What it's cause is beautiful. A thing can't be beautiful in a certain sense, ordered uh, parts proportion uh, without having some source in what is itself beautiful. He says in 100C and D, says, It is right to think then, gentlemen, that if the soul is immortal, it requires our care, not only for the time we call our life, but for the sake of all time. And the, that one is in terrible danger if one does not give it that, that care. If death were an escape from everything, it would be a great boon to be wicked, uh, to get rid of the body and of their uh, wickedness together with their soul. But now that the soul appears to be immortal, there is no escape from evil or salvation for it, except by becoming as good and wise as possible for the soul goes to the underworld uh, possessing nothing but its education and upbringing which are said to be uh, said to bring the greatest benefit or harm to the dead right at the beginning of the journey yonder the end of the quote again a great quote so he says that the soul since the soul is immortal it means that we are accountable for our actions. That's what we take with us. The only thing we take with us is our deeds and our thoughts. And he says, um, um, we are in danger if we do not understand this. And uh, if we were, if there were no immortality of the soul, and we died with all sorts of sins or crimes on our soul, it wouldn't make any difference, because nothing is going to happen. But he says the soul is immortal. And therefore, there is no escape from evil or salvation except by becoming good, he said. He says in 108c, a soul that has led a pure and moderate life finds a fellow travelers and gods to guide it, and each of them dwells in a place um, suited to it. There are many strange places on this earth, the end of the quote. So that there are many different kind of places where people live and act and are good and are evil. But he says if someone is good, he will, in some sense, find fellow travelers who will help him. And the last thing I quote will be from 114D to 115A, where he says, No sensible man would insist that these things are as I have described them, in this story. So the story itself is to make a point. He said, But I think it fitting for a man to risk the belief, for the risk is a noble one, that this or something like this is true about our souls and their dwelling places. Since the soul is evidently immortal, uh, and a man should repeat this to himself as if it were an incantation, which is why I have been prolonging my my tale. This is the reason why a man should be good cheer about his own soul, if during life he has ignored the pleasures of the body and its ornamentations as of uh, no concern to him and doing him more harm than good but has seriously concerned himself with the pleasures of learning, and adored his, adorned his soul, not with alien, but with his own uh, ornaments, namely moderation, righteousness, courage, freedom, and truth. And in that state awaits his journey to the underworld. The end of the quote. So in conclusion from these reflections on the Plato, it's a very powerful thing um, he said this account this thing we read in Plato the dialogue he said it's not exactly like this he said but the points that it makes are valid a soul is immortal and that if we live an honorable life uh, 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 or if we don't live an honorable life there are consequences to that we can be of good cheer if we have which is why Socrates was of good cheer in a sense Uh, and this was what's puzzled the potential philosopher. But if we're not, uh, then we have uh, made ourselves open to punishment in the end. And so that the origin in some sense of the doctrine of heaven and hell um, is not so much really in in Christianity or Judaism, but it's also in the pagans in Plato uh, who understood this.